how many would call yourselves rich? And I mean financially rich, wealthy. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't get too many hands up. Most of us here tonight would not see ourselves in the category of really rich. If you asked us to name some rich people, most of the people we'd name would be movie stars, big business people, sports stars, maybe politicians. But you and I, for the most part, we would think that we live pretty simple lives, don't we? Our address is Gorakin, the central coast, not a very glitzy address. We drive Camrys and Holdens and ordinary cars. We live in pretty ordinary houses. We don't see ourselves as rich. But tonight we're going to have a look at some teaching from James' letter which kind of challenges that idea. But before we look at that, I want to remind you of some figures which I know you've heard before. I know I've used them in other messages. Um, these are World Health Organization figures. But I want you to listen to them and not be tempted to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Or it's just a, a bunch of numbers. But really listen and try and get a handle on what these figures mean for us. So, these are World Health Organization figures, reputable source. 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. So, 80% of the people in our world live on less than $10 a day. If you have assets of more than $2,200... So that means you add up everything that you own, all your clothes, your phone, your iPods, all the stuff in your house, your car, all the money that you have in the bank, everything that you own. And if that adds up to more than $2,200, so I know we've got some kids here, I reckon even you kids would probably own more than $2,200 worth of stuff. If you added up your bed and if you've got a telly in your room or an iPad or um, if you add that all up, $2,200 puts you in the top 50% of the wealthiest people in the world. If it adds up to more than 61000 now remember this includes your car, your house, anything you've got in the bank, if it adds up to more than 61,000, you're in the top 10%. 500,000, and you're in the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the globe. More than 800 million people, get your head around that, 800 million people, more than 800 million people go to bed hungry every single night of their lives. That's about one in every seven people on the earth. So say we've got 49 people here. Seven of us would go to bed hungry every single night of our lives. 
every 3.6 seconds, somewhere in the world, a person dies from malnutrition. If you have three meals a day, if you have access to a vehicle, even if you don't own it, if you have a room to sleep in, particularly if you have a bed, if you have access to medical care, if you can ring up, go to the doctor, go to the emergency, if you have access to education, you are amongst the richest people in the world. That changes things, doesn't it, for us? Because I would have to say that in light of those figures, I am rich. I'm really rich and I think probably everyone in this room is. So if you've been here over the last two weeks, you'll know that we've started a series in the book of James. And this letter, remember, was written by James, who is the brother of Jesus, and it was written in the very early days of the Christian church. And James is writing to Christians who have been scattered throughout the Gentile world because of persecution. These people are really suffering for their faith. And in the first week, we looked at how in our suffering, James said, in your suffering, you should be joyful because of the fact that in the furnace of suffering, your faith and your character is grown in ways that couldn't happen if you weren't suffering like that. And then last week we talked about wisdom and how in the midst of suffering and in the midst of life, we need to seek wisdom. And all we have to do is ask God for it. And he promises that he will give us, he will gift us with his wisdom. So I wonder where James is headed now. You've probably got some idea already. So if you've got your Bible with you, open it up to James chapter 1. Um, and we're reading from verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honoured them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Just remind me again, who here is rich? Put up your hand. We're all rich. So James is writing to believers. He's writing to the rich and he's writing to the poor. And he's got something to say to both groups. Firstly, to the poor. James says, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honoured them. God has a special place in his heart for the poor. The Bible is full of verses that tell us that. Job chapter 34 he does not favour the rich over the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. Psalm 140 verse 12. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor, 
and upholds the cause of the needy. Isaiah 25 verse 4. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Isaiah 41, 17. When the poor and needy search for water and there is none and their tongues are parched from thirst, then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. And Luke 6. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. God's heart breaks for the suffering of the poor. He sees it and he promises not to forsake them. And the Bible says that there's special honour for those that are poor. That in fact, in God's eyes, it's better to be poor than it is to be rich. Blessed are you, Jesus said, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So what does James say to believers who are rich? To us. James says, this is verse 10, And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. James says that God sees our wealth like a flower or like grass. Now when we hear James talk about flowers or grass, we might think of our lawn or, or our azalea bush or our agapanthus. And our, our grass and our flowers, for the most part, are pretty green and lush, aren't they? The flowers bloom in the spring and they last for a couple of weeks. There's weeds in my garden that are very green and lush <laughs> in yours too. <laughs> yes. But we think garden, we think green, don't we? We look after our gardens, we mow the lawns, we water the garden sometimes, maybe we pull out the weeds. And so our gardens are, are pretty and they're green, pretty much. But the hearers of this letter, they would have had a different picture when they heard James talk about grass and flowers. See, grasses and flowers in Palestine, they would spring up after the rain and they'd be fresh and green but only for a very short time because often within a day the scorching sun and the hot wind would make them melt and dry up. Dif completely different climate, completely different picture of what grass and flower is like. So in Palestine, if you're a hearer, an original hearer of this letter, you're thinking grass and flowers, they're here and they're gone. They wither. They die. James is saying that that's God's attitude to wealth. It's here and it's gone. It means nothing. We associate wealth with power, don't we, and with status. We want to be people who have nice houses and drive nice cars and wear surf brand clothes. We want to be friends with those kinds of people too. 
We want our kids to be friends with those kinds of people. We think that people who are comfortable, who have plenty of money, are successful. And, and sometimes we think that they're better people. God doesn't think like that. Listen to these other verses about being rich. Hebrews 13 verse 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. 1 Timothy 6 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment in itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Luke twelve fifteen. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Matthew six twenty four. You can't serve two masters. For either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew nineteen twenty four. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They're sobering words, aren't they? The Bible is very clear that God does not look at the wealthy and see them as better, more successful, more worthwhile people. In fact, God sees wealth as a hindrance and a trap and a distraction from the life of faith. So what do we do with this teaching? Because I don't think there's any doubt about the fact that all of us are rich. We've established that already. How do we avoid the trap? How do we live God-honouring lives in our culture when we have such wealth? Tonight I just want, want to give you Two questions to ask yourself, which I think if you'll answer them honestly, they'll allow God to speak to you about this issue, about the trap of wealth that we can so easily find ourselves in. The first question is this, where is my treasure? Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So ask yourself, where is my treasure? What is it that gives you purpose and a reason for living? And if you find it hard to answer that question, then take a look at two things. Your diary or your 
iCal or and your bank statement. Your diary, your calendar and your bank statement. That will very quickly tell you where your treasure is. What takes up the most of your money and your time? Is it things? Is it getting that car that you've always wanted or that skateboard or that house or that holiday? Is that what's filling your time? Working your butt off to save for that next thing that you have to have. Trolling through the newspapers or eBay or carsales.com. Is that what you're spending your money on? Is every last cent going into your car or your house or your next holiday? Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Or is it fun and friends? Look at your diary. Look at your bank statement. Is your treasure fun? Your statement shows Grady Union, Max Brenner, Subway. Your diary shows lunch with so-and-so, coffee with so-and-so, fun, fun, more and more entertainment. Is that your treasure? Or is it family? Or is it kids? Or is it making it in the business world? Is it fitness? Is it your girlfriend? Ask yourself, what do I treasure most? What gives me a purpose and a reason for living? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, they'll be added unto you as well. God knows we need houses. We need cars. We, in our culture, you kind of need to be able to drive. He even knows that we need to have fun, to relax, to go to a movie, to have a hot chocolate at Max Brenner. That's not what this is about. It's about your heart. God says, it's not about whether you're rich or poor even. It's about your heart. It's about where your treasure is. It's about what comes first, what or who gives you your reason for living. And God says, it's got to be me. Seek me first. Put me first. Spend time with me first. Treasure me and I'll worry about all of those other things. They'll be added to you as well. So that's the first question. Where is my treasure? The second question is, do I have God's heart for the poor? The Bible is very clear about what God expects of us as his children. Have a look at these verses. Luke chapter 3 verse 11. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. That's challenging when you know that every 3.4 seconds someone's dying of hunger. Proverbs 14.31 He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Our government did that this week when they reduced their aid budget by 7.6 billion. 
They oppress the poor and show contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Do we have God's heart for the poor? 1 John 3.17 If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? We have been given so much as Western believers. And because of that, the Bible says there is a lot expected of us. Listen to this from Luke chapter 12. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. When someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. We are God's hands and feet in this world. And let's face it, many of us do very little about the incredible suffering that is going on in our world right now. Every 3.4, 3.6 seconds. Do you get that? Four people have died of malnutrition since I began that sentence. And most of them are children. They're little kids. And they're dying because they just don't have enough food. In a world where there is more than enough food to go around, we're chucking it out in our bins every single day. I know you've heard this quote before, but I haven't yet found someone else who has said this so powerfully. This is Bono, the lead singer of U2. It's an amazing thing to think that ours is the first generation in history that can really end extreme poverty. The kind that means that a child dies for lack of food in its belly. That should be seen as the most incredible historic opportunity but instead it's become a millstone around our necks we let our own pathetic excuses about how it's difficult justify our own inaction be honest we have the science we have the technology and we have the wealth we as a generation can put an end to extreme poverty but what we don't have is the will and that's not a reason that history will accept ask yourself tonight does my heart break for the poor as God's heart does what am I doing with all of the resources that God has given me because one day each one of us will have to give an account for what we've done with what God gave us. I want to finish tonight by reading the words of Jesus from Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand 
and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we've been given so much. There isn't one of us here tonight that will go to bed hungry. And Lord, we want to say sorry for the way that we take that for granted and for the way that we just get on with our lives. Not allowing the suffering of people to break our hearts like it breaks yours. Lord, we want our treasure to be in you alone. We want to put you first above all else and we want to be people who serve and care and give. Lord, open our eyes to the need that is all around us in our community and in our world and show us what you would have us do so that we can truly be your hands and feet in the places that you've put us. Amen. <laughs>